Hey, welcome to Off Air. It's your weekly news and pop podcast where two media professionals, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, sit down and hash out our favourite three stories for the week that we reckon that you need to know about. And this is a very special episode because normally we record this from me being in Melbourne and Nick being in Queensland, but we are in the same room. I've been staying at Nick's house and visiting him for the last couple of days. So could this be the best podcast that we've ever done? Or will it crash and burn? Uh, Hey, plus, we actually have a Facebook group. It's called Off Air Podcast Community. If you're on Facebook and you listen to the podcast, you should get involved because you can let us know your thoughts on any of the stories and we will include them in our recording. Uh, This week, we're going to be doing Is It the End of Commercial Radio? A huge name in media reckons so. The Israel conflict. It is the most contentious issue in the world and we get very honest about it. Plus, The Bachelorette has gone full diversity mode, but is it actually going to change the ratings. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. We're on. It's happening. Tim Rubin, live for the first time in two years, for the first time in the history of this podcast. We are in the same room recording a podcast We're together. a metre and a half. We're COVID safe distance away from each other, despite... Well, I've been staying at your house for the last four days. Mm. So uh, this is the furthest that we've actually been apart now. Well, last night we actually actively wrestled together, which I think we should have a quick conversation about because Ellie- that, <laughs> everyone has been asking. Really? Have you wrestled? Ellie was like, please don't do more jujitsu chat in your podcast this week. And I'm like, well, I have to because we went to jujitsu exactly. and we did, a, we did a, a roll and it was five minutes of two sweaty, hairy men (laughs) just flopping around on each other. And should we say the result? Well, it was a stalemate. I did not submit you and you did not submit me. No. And you, of the five minutes, you spent 80% of the time just on top of me with your body weight. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I was being nasty. I was, it's injured. So you could use certain elements to your advantage, whether it's your athleticism or your agility or your speed. And I don't have any of those. So I have to rely solely on the fact I think I've probably got about 25 to 30 kilos on you. Yeah, do people know that you're bigger than me? Because I guess, yeah, so I'm like 5'10 and weigh 80 kilos. Yeah. And what are you, 6'3? Just under about half a centimeter under 6'3, and I'm about 105 kilos. So about yeah. 25 kilo difference. Yeah. Uh, which definitely helps <laughs> when may. you are wrestling. <laughs> but that's the, I'm so, like, I think a stalemate, best result. That you could possibly have. Because we both went in, there was like a little bit of nerves, and then we left and we were both stoked. There was nerves. There was definite nerves. But I'm so happy we did it because it, it I have not had that much fun in such a long time. I genuinely really enjoyed doing it with a friend because it was my first chance to do yeah. it with someone I know. And then, and then after we went home and ate grilled burgers, but then also like <laughs> practiced moves on yeah, each other yeah. in the living room floor. I genuinely felt like I was an eight-year-old again when you would... Like at a sleepover? Yeah, and you would convince your parents to get the... the I think back then it was WWF VCRs and you'd bring them home and watch them and then try to coat hanger and clothesline <laughs> each other and suplex each other. It was, I, I had an absolute blast. I'm so happy we did do it. Uh, and I'm happy it was a fun experience, but I was nervous beforehand. I was, I was quite nervous. I was, 
And I don't know why. I just think it's because it's a it's a strange environment that you and I have never been in together. No, but and we started it exactly at the same time yeah. in different states. Yeah, yeah. so crazy. Uh, I've really enjoyed having you up here. First time we've seen each other physically in two years. It doesn't feel that way. No, well, because we speak all the time every yeah. week so. in video chat as well. So I see your face. Yeah, getting off the plane and getting picked up by you was like a, a surreally. Um, uh, unimpressive experience. Unim- yeah. yeah, I was expecting it to be like, yeah, and it was like, oh, hey, Nick. Yeah, I saw you on Wednesday. <laughs> well, with that in mind, should we start? Let's do it. Okay. Story number one. Marty Sheargold is a big name in Australian media, in radio in particular. He was in the, um, he was the Marty and Kate, Tim and Marty on Nova. Mm. He's now moved to Melbourne Triple M to host the Melbourne Breakfast Show solo. It's called the Marty Sheargold Show. Um, very talented, very well-respected name in the industry. And in an interview last week, he said he reckons commercial radio has about 10 years left. Um, his exact words were, I think the next five will be okay, but I think the next 10 is looking interesting. People have been saying that it's the end of radio for a long time, but I think it carries more weight when it's coming from the face of one of the biggest brands in the country. Mm. Is he right? I think in some ways he is. I think it's a very interesting question. And I think firstly, you mentioned that people have been saying it's the end of radio for a long time. They've been saying that for about 50 years. Since TV came in, everyone said that will be the end of radio. And it obviously wasn't. But I think the challenges facing radio as an industry over the next 10 years are so different to anything else that's experienced. Because when TV came in, people still wanted to hear things while they were doing other things. So if that makes sense, like Mm -hmm. while you were mowing your lawn, you still wanted to hear the footy and you couldn't watch a TV and do that. Whereas now what Marty Sheargold is referencing is the rise of what we're actually doing right now, which is podcasting and the rise of streaming services like Spotify or Anchor or Acast or any of those. And the fact that people are in terms of their consumer behaviors, moving more towards consuming those. I have seen some statistics Uh, that suggest that digital audio offerings or listening to digital audio will become more common than listening to terrestrial audio, so FM and AM frequencies, Mm -hmm. within the next 12 months. So people will stream... This year. This year. People will... uh, When I say digital audio, that includes streaming radio services. So it is actually quite popular to stream digital radio stations. Uh, and some of those are really funny. Coles Radio rates rates its tits off every single month in the digital audio offerings. Yeah, I've heard that as well. But I always wondered if... I don't want to get too caught up in Coles Radio. Yeah, yeah. But the data on Coles Radio... Because I, I looked into some of their data and they were like, we have... 15 million listeners a month. And mm. I'm like, is that just the number of people who have walked into a Coles? It's hard. It's it's a real cowboy country landscape at the moment. But let's break it down simply because I think the best way to look at it is to actually look at how streaming services on television have in a lot of ways supplanted traditional TV channels. Yeah. And I think that is the best point of reference for what is potentially going to happen to radio over Mm -hmm. the next five to 10 years. Podcasting has obviously become a major industry and also audio streaming on demand has become a major industry. Just Spotify or whatever you use. Spotify or whatever you use, Apple Music, any of those services have become absolutely massive. And because as a consumer, they're awesome because you get to hear whatever you want when you want to hear it. It isn't just turning on a frequency on the car. So I think... 
that actually has an interesting follow on effect, which a lot of people don't consider because streaming services are sexy and it's new. And a lot of people that work in media are early adopters. They are instantly drawn to wanting to be a part of those. If you look at presently, the two most famous radio names in the country, a lot of people would say Kyle and Jackie O. It's actually Hamish and Hamish and Yeah, sure. And they're not on the radio. They do a podcast. They made the move about three years ago and they have Australia's most successful podcast. And I think you're going to continue to see the majority of talent that works within radio try to move towards podcasting. And that's going to have a twofold effect because it will mean that radio will be a worse quality because it has less resources and less money and less talent participating in it. And it means that those streaming services will be of a greater quality. So consumers are naturally going to move towards that new product. At the right. moment... It's a magnet, yeah. Exactly right. At the moment, it's currently just mainly early adopters. I know my podcast listening habits are unusual. I probably listen to maybe 10 podcasts a week as in different titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is outside the norm. Most uh, On average, it's about 1.8 podcasts a week, different titles that people listen to. That's just going to increase and increase and increase. And it's like when you look at the fact that Netflix is creating better quality content than Channel 9 or Channel 10 is. So that immediately draws consumers to that. What concerns me is I hope that radio doesn't follow the path that traditional TV did. Which is what? Just start producing shock value shit. Terrible stuff. Exactly. Because A, it's cheap, and B, it, it has very clickbaity headlines. And that's where TV is like, well, we can't win the battle with money, and we can't win the battle with quality, so we're just going to try to grab your ears and grab your eyes with train wreck car crash shit. And I really hope radio doesn't choose that route. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that it can. I don't think, do you think that radio, especially local radio, when things are much smaller productions, at a scale like this, you couldn't do a shock value show, but like you're by yourself. You don't have a producer here. Mm. Like I, when I was in Bendigo, it was just me and my co-host. Yeah. The only way that you could do any type of shock value, anything would be like on a Carrie and Tommy or a national level show. Yeah. But those shows need to be safe to exist. Exactly so, right. So I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it'll happen. I also don't think radio will die. I, I think that that is an overestimate, but it's going to look super different in 10 years. In 10 years, I think what you'll find is um, probably very low budget, local radio stations that are focused on yep. local, so community stations, they'll probably sound similar to what community stations do sound like now, or big flagship stations repurposing podcast content and driving people to listen to, to podcasts, the podcasts by using by that company. Yeah. So like Southern Cross or Stereo, mm. and I feel like... I feel weird, like I'm talking about mum behind her back. I was like, yeah, we're in the... why are you talking with such a low voice? This is all we're part in, but of But we're the... in the building, yeah. Yeah, but these people are not idiots, no, so They understand like, the changing so, behaviours. So you guys are rebranding as well, aren't you? In like a the... lot of ways, yes. So we've recently launched an app called Listener. And when I say we, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I do think it's the right idea for yeah. Southern Cross or Stereo to do. But Southern Cross calls itself... Well, they've moved from, they don't want to be perceived necessarily as a radio company. They want to be perceived as an audio company. 
sp- probably specifically a digital audio company. So they are investing heavily into podcast creation and, and also investing heavily into this listener app. So this listener app will help you curate radio stations and curate podcasts, and it will create essentially uh, specific radio stations for you that will that will bring in your podcast content and music you like to hear. Uh, and I think that what you'll see is our traditional brands, so our FM and our AM frequencies, will now become support networks mm. for listener. Do you think that we're going to do away with local anything? I don't. Did you see, by the way, that Win, which is now Channel Nine, because they yes. swapped again in the last yeah. couple of weeks? Yeah. Yesterday, did you know that it axed local, like pretty much all the regional local news bulletins across Victoria and Queensland? I did not see that. Yeah. I think that the way we consume local content will change dramatically. Yeah. Because also with Listener, they're offering big national podcasts. Yeah. And I can only speak on behalf of Listener because that's the one that I, I know yeah. and I'm associated with. But they also have an entirely separate arm, uh, which they're calling uh, Shortcasts which will be community-specific podcasts. Uh-huh. So if you lived in Toowoomba, you can get your local news update. It's hard, man. Like, I think that the... the... It hit Toowoomba, by the way. That's, yes. that's the Toowoomba um, local win news, gone. Bendigo, Ballarat, um, Cairns, Far North Queensland, Townsville, Shepparton. Mm. All of those local newses, gone. And, yeah. the, the, like... Just on a personal note, these are journalists that you and I know yeah. who would have found out that they that their show doesn't exist anymore. I thought it was really interesting. I recently, and I certainly don't, um, you know, subscribe or agree to all this person's statements, which is a weird caveat that you now have to put out when you're talking about referencing people. But I recently uh, listened back to a podcast involving Jordan Peterson. Well, it's a good caveat to put out when you're yeah, bringing I know, up Jordan I Peterson. Know, but you're allowed to listen to people you disagree <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fact, I think it's, it's good to, to listen do. to yeah. people that you disagree with. But yeah. I, I went back and listened to, in preparation for this in some parts, I listened to him to talking with Joe Rogan about four years ago. And America is about 10 years ahead of us when it comes to this type of to stuff. To media. Exactly right. Uh, and he was talking about why Joe Rogan is successful and why his podcast is successful. And he made the point, which I think is very true. We have not seen a transition of media like this since the invention of the printing press. So when the printing press came in, mm. that meant that the written word was the most powerful tool in the world. Because it could get everywhere. Exactly right. At the moment, we are living through a transition where spoken word is becoming more important than the written word. And access to spoken word is becoming more influential than written word. And that has not happened since the invention of the printing press. So this is the second biggest shift in media we have seen. This, this, the, the shift we're currently going through surpasses the invention of television. It, inventions, it, it surpasses really? the... I believe it does because it's changing our entire consumption habits of media. And the internet is a big part of that because we now, before, say when TV came in, TV just added images to radio. So in terms of consumer habits, when it was just radio, you would tune in at seven o'clock at night to listen to the news on the radio. And people would sit around their radios in their lounge rooms and listen to that news. Mm. When TV came in, we'd sit around the TV and watch the news at seven o'clock. Now, we don't... People you are my age... A lot of old people still watch the news... People, you're my age. By the time it gets to seven o'clock at night, we have consumed 
so much news. Non-stop for the whole day. That's the last thing we want to do. Mm -hmm. So our habits have changed. Now we're very selective about how we want to entertain ourselves and how we want to inform ourselves. And those things have changed dramatically. I think you've missed a trick. I think that the biggest change in the media, if we're talking historically since mm. the printing press, I don't think it's the fact that podcasting and stuff is existing and is growing. I think it's social media. That's and I think fair. that that is actually um, like subjugating this shift. Yeah. And I think that it's a way of disseminating information that bypasses the media. And I think that we've seen that absolutely wreak ha havoc in so many situations like the Trump elections. Mm. Um, you pick either one. Uh, but yeah, they've both been absolutely mayhem. And it's not because of what the media has done. It's because of what they've managed to disseminate into the communities via social media and the fact that there are no checks and balances in that world. I think that that's a bigger change. It's a great point. Do you think it's a change for the better? No, no, definitely not. I sort of do. Social media being the form of media? No, I think it's very important that there is funded journalism. I think that it's important that the ABC exists. I do too. Um, I do too. Yeah. But they engage in social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that um, it... It pulls, it, it makes it very hard for traditional media and traditional, I don't really care about like Channel 10 making shows, but I mm. do care about the fact that there is actual journalism that exists and it's not just people who win elections based on who has the best memes. I sort of think, so you're looking at the real negative sides of that. What I really appreciate is it has turned social media, but also podcasting and also all of this has coincided with a major rise in technology. Now, people, if you want to start a podcast, go buy a roadie mic for $180 and you're 90% you're of the way there. Just start talking into it into a laptop. I like that it has made media a free market. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, you would have to go into an institution yeah. like the one I work for or like the ABC or like Channel 10 and you would have to earn your licks. Yep. And by that point, to an extent, and you know, this is a Noam Chomsky theory, you are subconsciously institutionalized to the point where you are regurgitating right, whatever you, talk points you've they had want. to pitch your podcast and you've had to do that to chairmen and boards and whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, you have been influenced by greater powers to the point where is your word authentic to both the situation and yourself? Yeah. Okay. So that's a plus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's positives and minuses. Yeah, there's I, positives and negatives. I want to go to the uh, the uh, off-air podcast community, the yeah. Facebook group. I put up that Marty Sheargold has said 10 years left of radio. We got some interesting comments. Mick wrote something similar to what you said. Pretty sure that was predicted 10 years ago too. Completely disagree. Yes, it will evolve and digital radio will take off more, but live radio, both commercial, public and community, will persist. Um, as a side note, Mick also works in radio. And uh, Guy wrote, geez, I hope not. I agree with him in parts. I think breakfast radio will always have a place, but the high talent costs of other day parts may become hard to justify. This is closer to what he claimed. TV, video, satellite, and streaming were all supposed to kill radio, but it survived and thrived. I, for one, hope the old girl will live on forever. And as another side note, Guy also currently works in radio. I don't think it will thrive. No. And I don't, I, I love radio. It was my first love. It's, it's all I've ever worked in as an adult. I think it will exist. I think it will change how it exists. And I think that the people 
involved in media at the moment will adapt. The talented people that have an open mind will adapt and overcome and find jobs in different streams. Like you have done. You have successfully launched a media career into digital marketing, which is... Uh, there's a lot of crossover skills in mm. those worlds. And I think a lot of people are going to find homes just in different places. Story number two. The UN have stepped into the Gaza Strip to force a ceasefire between Israel and Palestine. It puts a stop to an 11-day flare-up that's seen 242 people die and 2,700 people wounded, mostly from Palestine. I've got to be honest, um, this fighting was going on last week. And Nick, you semi threw it out into the podcast during one of our other stories, and I couldn't handle it. I backed up. Mm. Um, I personally think that Israel, the Israel-Palestine conflict, is probably the most contentious issue in the world, I would say. Um, And it's one that makes me really nervous to talk about. What Can I just ask, because I think neither of us are going to articulate it well and nor would we, because this has been a conflict and a situation that has been no, going on. No, I think we are going to articulate it. And Nick, <laughs> you and I, in this, we have 12 to 14 minutes. We're going to solve it, okay? I'd actually just... I'd Shoot ra- for the stars. I'd rather know. I think a yeah. lot of people are well-versed in, in the basic uh, conflict that is going uh-huh. on there. I would like to know, uh, you've openly spoken of your Jewish heritage on this podcast mm-hmm. before. You're also someone who is extremely pro-human rights. Yes. How do you, how does it, because you did tense up and flare up when we spoke about it last week. How does this whole situation leave you feeling? Lost or uncomfortable or confused or? Um, it makes me nervous. Mm. It makes me really nervous. Um. Why does it make me nervous? I think, okay, so yes, the fact that I am, uh, my family is Jewish. I never know how to articulate it because like I'm Jewish, but I don't do anything Jewish, but that's I think a you part. you say non-practicing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Um, some people think that all Jewish people are from Israel. I'm, <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah. Um, but I do have family that have, I have cousins who have moved there. So I have like a vested interest in the story, I guess. Yeah. I think what makes me nervous in particular is the fact that uh, it's such a contentious issue. People get so fired up, and rightfully so as well. Like, the numbers of people of uh, people being wounded and killed is awful. Um, people get incredibly fired up, but also uh, tend to be very misinformed. Mm. Um, it's very easy. Like, you've got to remember that this problem has been going on for, in its modern form, 90 years now. And in historical context... Forever. The, the start of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, yeah, in terms of the modern form, so there's so much to the story that it's very, very easy for people to learn a very top layer level of it. Well, and I think, can I speak from the perspective of a complete outsider? I have yeah, no sure. religious affiliation and, 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 and I don't even really know what my heritage is. I'm, I call myself a mongrel because I'm from all over the shop. Uh-huh. Um, I think a lot of people see Palestine as almost an underdog, as as a bunch of people that aren't weaponized to the extent that Israel is. Yeah, definitely. And that have have had their land subjugated from them and and have had something taken from them. And a lot of people see Israel as a very wealthy uh, nation who are trying to take parts of Palestine or occupy parts of Palestine away from them. So people are instantly... uh, 
uh, what's the way to put it? People are instant. Often, I think, especially Australians, are instantly on the side of Palestine because Some, they see yeah. the underdog and they and they think that that is the case. Yeah. Uh, but you explained it to me very well after the podcast last week that it's it, it it's way more than just a two dog race. Yeah. Okay. So. For if you're not at all up to speed, I actually spoke to Jasmine, your partner, about this yesterday mm. over lunch. So a lot of people just go, okay, there's fighting going on there. So a history lesson in a tiny little snapshot is um, what we're dealing with. Are, uh, we are dealing with two wounded parties to begin with. Yeah. So Israel was formed in 1948 after World War II had happened. Mm. So obviously you've got the Holocaust happening in Europe and there were millions of displaced Jews who had been kicked out of their homes, towns, countries. And the UN created Israel as a place for them to go. Yeah. So uh, you've got this group of people who are... I don't want to say feeling sorry for themselves because, like, they should be feeling... They had a rough trot. They had a rough trot. They (laughs) went through the Holocaust. So you've got these people who are essentially victims, right, who have been given something. Now, the problem is they were given land that there were already people in. Yeah. So now you displace another group of people who are the Palestinians, and they then feel like victims as they should because they have now been displaced. Mm as are the Jews that are being sent. So what you have are two groups of people who both feel like they are victims because they both are victims. Mm. And essentially we're seeing probably the most modern that I'm aware of form of colonization. Mm. Yeah, because- I think so. I mean, I mean, <coughs> I think it was interesting earlier when you mentioned the numbers of deaths and the numbers of destruction. And, and, and I always find it interesting. I'd love to know why that gets so much more attention and people get so much more flared up mm. than than essentially it, we have seen in the past 30 years several uh, genocides in, in certain African countries yeah. and Northern African countries. The, the, the numbers pale. Like they, they make those numbers look tiny. Mm. And I wonder why we we gravitate more to putting more emphasis on this situation. I think it's because people can relate and, and mm. it's awful. And I don't like to, uh, I, I'm not saying that I agree with this, but I, this is what I perceive is yeah. that, uh, when people can relate to people going through, I mean, it's the same as, you know, when nine 11 happened and it, yeah. that really hit home, even though the same thing, the yeah, it was numbers 3, people as opposed to, you know, 30 or whatever, mm. you know, in, in pick a situation in, in Africa or in other places in the middle East, um, or in China, in Asia. Exactly, like, I mean, yeah. look, there are humanitarian crises in, in a lot of places, but I think when you have, um, like to be really fucking honest, like Oh, a largely white population mm. and like a Western-ish country, which um, if you've been to Israel, it it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there's a level people can relate. There's. Do you find it that weird? That has cut through. It has media cut yeah. through. Yeah. Which you, is not right. Do you, Yeah, but do you think it's also, and we're getting really honest here, Jews have had a rough trot in general. (laughs) It's kind of our thing. Yeah, there's been a lot of persecution of of the Jews throughout time. Yeah. And a lot of, um, like, we all know the stereotypes. There's there's distrust around, like, money and stuff like that and untrustworthiness. Is it weird to grow up 
uh, having those things slung at you. Yeah, it's really weird. And I've been in situations that are that are awkward when people, I don't know, when, when people like ask about them as if they're real. <laughs> well, in Australia, we don't we don't have as big a Jewish community as say yeah. New York or or Israel, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a funny one. But at the same time, I'm also super aware that I am a member of a minority that like, I still have so much privilege. Like Mm. I'm a member of a minority that I can really choose to disclose or not. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you, uh, if, if you're a person of color, that's not something that you can make that decision about. Like I can be in any room and go, do I feel comfortable disclosing this about myself? Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's no part of me that feels like I've had a hard run because of being Jewish. It's also weird that, for me, it's always been weird that a lot of the stereotypes are based around Jewish people being smarter than other people. Like, like a lot of the stereotypes are bred. If you look back into one of the biggest things uh, that created a lot of initial stereotypes was during the Dark Ages, Jewish communities really valued teaching literacy. Yeah, and right. their literacy rates were up in the 70, uh, 70%, around that 70 to 80%, whereas the rest of the world was down at like 10. No one bothered to learn to read. Yeah. And that, in turn, harbored a distrust. And then the fact that a, a lot of Jewish communities started the, 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 the current banking system, and that then created distrust. Like, it's yeah. odd that it's the reverse of a lot. Like, people think... Uh, uh, instead of being like, oh, good for you guys, we should do that too. Yeah, instead, yeah. they're just like, fuck these guys. Well, you know <laughs> what's what even, going on? <laughs> it even happened with the Black Plague. Yeah. So, um, there, are, if you're like a religious Jew, there's like a lot of rules about how you wash yeah. and prepare food. Mm. Um, and cleanliness about yourself, about washing your body and washing your hands, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's been going on since, the, since for like 5,000 years or something. And so when the Black Plague came along, the Jewish communities weren't getting it. And so instead of being like, hey, maybe we should take some notes on like how they're washing themselves, yeah. they were like, it's the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and they literally like, yeah, so there was like, a, there were problems with Jews getting yeah. attacked and killed yeah, yeah. during the Black Plague because they didn't have the Black Plague. Mm. So anyway, I think that that's probably enough backstory on me, but... <laughs> But to Israel, I think that the biggest problem that a lot of people don't understand is that people tend to boil down the Israel-Palestine conflict into exactly that, Israel and Palestine, as if it is only two groups of people. And when you look at it like that and you see those numbers and you go, oh my God, 50 Palestinian children were killed, I obviously want to align with whatever is the opposite of that. Yeah then I can see how that logic makes sense. The, the more complex part of the situation is that there are actually three parties in the story. Mm-hmm. Is you have um, essentially Israel, you have essentially the Palestinian people, and then there's the third player in the game, which is Hamas, which is the Palestinian government right now, but which is also an Islamic resistant terrorist movement and mm. is classified as a terrorist. I found the thing. Um, we have uh, Canada, Canada, the European Union, Israel, Japan, and the United States all deem Hamas as a terrorist organization. Mm. And they are, the, they are ruling and they are also willing to use the Palestinian people as human shields and Mm. willing to use those people as collateral in order to 
continue a lot of the violence, which is really freaking terrible. It is, yeah. It's it's um, that part of it is challenging. The, I mean, the whole situation, man, is just fucking disastrous, really. Because I don't know what what a positive outcome is. Because also you have U.S. a, a huge amount of U.S. influence into Israel, mm-hmm. and a, and there there is openly and obviously, I think we can both say a giant power imbalance between the Israeli military forces, yeah, and the Palestinian military forces, yeah. But I've heard it be said, like I saw Trevor, did you see Trevor Noah's response to I, the Israel no, flare up? He did this whole speech and he was like, you know, when your little brother kicks you in the shin, you don't beat them up. Mm. You need to go, okay, I'm the bigger, stronger person. So I need to think about how I respond to this. And mm. and that kind of metaphor has been thrown around quite a bit. And I think, you know, just to kind of hark back to the point that you made when when you said, why do we view this as this level of importance compared to like an African warlord or whatever yeah. being viewed differently? Um, I, I, there's still a level of dis of uh, disconnection. I think from many people in the world um, when they look at how Israel should respond compared to the things that happen to it. So mm. Israel, um, where's the number? Uh, I think Palestine has launched about 3,500 rockets at Israel in that 11-day period. If anyone launched 3,500 rockets at Australia, regardless of who it was, Mm. like if it was PNG or something, like Australia is going to retaliate. Any place, if someone launched 3,500 rockets at America, they're going to retaliate. Yeah. So... I think it's very easy to go, oh, this is an underdog, but like countries still need to defend themselves because you can't just get shot at and let your people get blown up no, and, and I, turn the other cheek. I, un- I understand that. Look, I think here is my two major issues. Uh-huh. And again, I don't have a horse, a dog in this race. I, I think my two major issues are I am never in support of extreme alt-right governments. Yeah. And Israel at the moment has what would be perceived as an extremely hardline conservative government. Right. And then the second part is I can't agree with occupation and the manipulation of money that is happening in parts of Jerusalem uh, and and parts of the Gaza Strip, where they're slowly using them, where, where Israel is using their money... To buy property. To buy property and mm. then engulf that part of land. I, I don't think that those things are right and I don't think that those things should be supported. When it comes to the actual military actions, it, it's a very hard situation. And I also agree that I think that analogy is really flawed because they are not brothers. This is a situation yeah. that was forced upon both these people yeah. by the UN and that's the bigger fuck up. Like if we want to go back, the biggest fuck up occurred back in 1948 when the UN just were like, Ah, look, heaps of bad shit happened to you, so we're just going to give you this land. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that unfortunately, like, there's a lot of pressure, I think, for Israel and Palestine to figure this out. Yeah, and Um, it's probably not their problem to figure out. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah, Because you're kind of like, you're giving, uh, what's the story with the two women and the baby and the king saying, well, cut the baby. uh, King Solomon, I think it was, yeah. Like, you can't cut... No, you can't like, just cut this country in half and say you guys have to... Li-. And the other problem, which we briefly discussed last week, was 
you now have third generation Israelis. Yeah. You yeah. have people whose par- who were born in Israel whose yeah. parents were born in Israel. So, like, think about how Australian you are, yeah. which, like, most of us are, like, you can probably go back a couple generations, yeah. and you think of yourself as fully Australian. Absolutely. So there are people in Israel who think of themselves as fully Israeli. Rightfully so. And rightfully so, yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a problem that, like, I think it's interesting that the UN has now come in and that they're, like, monitoring mm. this ceasefire. I think that maybe there needs to be a longer term solution Mm. with a third party involved to govern it. And I think that... Who is that party? Well, it's the, U- it's the UN. Yeah, but the UN are fucking toothless tigers. I know. Well, they need to not be. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you need to create some, you need to create potentially a two-state solution. I mean, you can go down, we can go down rabbit holes yeah, around yeah. that. But whatever the solution is, I think that it is something that is governed by somebody else. So that if, for example, Hamas were to then fire a rocket, then the response is not Israel to fire back a rocket mm. and kill people. I think the response is the UN goes, okay, who was that person? You're now out. Yeah. Yeah. And like that person and their family is, and we have like a kind of Australia, like refugee, like, well, (laughs) you like it or you leave situation. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's tough. And I think that the other unspoken or not unspoken, but the other really sad subconscious element to this is you're talking about two religions who have suffered persecution in terms of Palestine being a predominantly Muslim country and Israel being a Jewish country or Jewish state. We're not a company yet. We haven't floated. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine if we just float Israel? Israel, get into a soda stream. (laughs) You'd invest, right? (laughs) But I think it's like um, another sad element to this is America is going to choose Judaism over, uh, over Islam. As well. Like, I think that there's an element of like, well, they're probably going to support a Jewish nation over an Islamic nation or over a Muslim nation. Mm, yeah, I think there's more to that. There is. There's, yeah. there's so many layers and we're not going to do a great job of articulating it, but the situation is fucked. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Story number three. We've had nearly 10 years of The Bachelor and Bachelorette here in Australia. We've had everybody from the Honey Badger to Sophie Monk, but there's been a pretty strong theme when it comes to the batch and the contestants involved and the diversity factor being very, very low. Um, I think Blake Garvey is maybe the only bachelor that I'm aware of um, who would have any type of ethnicity at all. And every year the show gets criticized for being whitewashy and bland. Mm. Well, this week we're changing all that because Channel 10 announced the next bachelorette is Brooke Blurton, who identifies as bisexual and pansexual, she doesn't mind, um, and is indigenous. She's a proud Nunga Yamachi woman. Nick, did Channel 10 just fix TV? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, obviously, I think all of us will be able to come together. If anything, if we could get this season of The Bachelor on big screens in the Gaza Strip... That would solve it. I would suggest so. Um, But we don't know how many... Israeli and Arabic or Muslim uh, contestants there's going to be. And that could be a cause for problem because we need representation. (laughs) Sorry, go on. Um, uh, horses for courses, man. I always sort of think that traditional media, and we've had these these conversations around Hollywood uh, during the whole Me Too movement. I always think it's ironic that that traditional media seems to be behind the eight ball in the way we actually live our lives. Like I I have reached a point now where I don't really 
uh, I don't, man, I, fuck whoever you want to fuck. Like, <laughs> be attracted to whoever you want to be attracted to. I don't think it's as big of an issue now, especially when it comes to uh, uh, labels or or, or or being pansexual, where you're just saying that I find humans attractive. Mm. I actually think that's just a fantastic trait. Like, I, I think that that's a great way to define yourself. Yeah, if you don't know what pansexual is, it is the idea that you fall in love with the human being beneath the physicality. So mm. bisexual is like, I am attracted to males and I'm attracted to females. Whereas the it's a very slight distinction. Pansexual is gender and all of that just doesn't mean anything to me. And mm. it's really about the, the underneath, the person, which I think is... As as you said, it's great. If you could choose one, that's a lovely thing to yeah. be able to bring to the world, I think. I think uh, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be interesting to see how commercial television tries to milk this stereotype for yeah. ratings because that's what's going to happen. Is Well, they milked her coming out for ratings. Yes. It was, I remember the season, and I wasn't watching the season, but when she was a contestant and they built up this big thing they built it up like over the weekend with all these ads like, Brooke is going to drop a bombshell. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. And then finally the episode happened and she told The Bachelor at the time, I don't remember which one it was. And she it was, was like, It was the Honey Badger. Oh, it was uh, the Honey I'm Badger. Pretty certain it was Nick Cummins' season. And she was like, Hey, I've got to tell you something. Um, yeah, so I'm bisexual. And no one cared. No, no one gave a shit. And, and I think that that's where it's always handled distastefully when it's left to mainstream media sources. And we saw this recently in the latest season of Married at First Sight. There was a guy on there who identified as bisexual. Oh, yeah. And they built it up as this huge fuck-off thing. And then they had people, like, criticize him at, at his wedding. And there was other people there. or like They really tried party. to make it an issue. Yeah. A dramatic issue. And it, I, I would love to see more situations where people from the LGBTQI community are allowed to just be normal people and not have to wear their identity as a badge, if that makes sense. that not I don't think anyone's sexuality should be their defining feature. Mm. I think who you are as a person and the values you hold should be your defining feature. I think it should just be allowed to... People should be allowed to uh, identify uh, as, uh, as part of that community without having to that be their primary... Yeah, but at the same time, um, if something is a first, then it will get spoken about as a first. So if you're Channel mm. 10 and you're going, okay, we're going to put out Brooke, you can't just say Brooke and that's the end of that. You have to say, well, this is going to be a bisexual season. There will probably be men and women. This is a first for The Bachelor. Like, you have to acknowledge those things. And in doing so, you are over time normalizing them. But you can't just pretend that none of those things are happening. Um, no, that's true. But I don't think that any example of reality TV normalizes anything. Like, even if she is bisexual or pansexual, when would she normally find herself living in a mansion uh, with, with eight girls and eight guys competing for her love? <laughs> Uh, yeah, never. Um, <laughs> can I just say, so uh, aside from, from that exciting feature, the show's not going to work. No, Because no. it doesn't, they've tried to do it before. Justin commented on our Facebook page, Off Air Podcast Community, 
Um, Teela Tequila did it first. Yeah. She did. That show was a train wreck. Absolutely. This is what happens when you put, whatever it is, 16. Yeah. You put 16 people and you, in a house and you add bisexuality or pansexuality. A, you have straight guys and girls. Yes. Now they're going to be hooking up. You have gay or straight or pan, bi guys and girls. They're going to be hooking up. Mm. The problem, the only thing that The Bachelor relies on is sheer supply and demand competition. Because when you take someone like whoever, Brooke or the Honey Badger or and you have 16 whatever, dudes, they all want that, that yeah, individual. The supply and demand is there's one girl, 16 guys, there, there's a limited resource here and there's a lot of people here who want that thing. But these... It's just economics, It's Tim. just economics. The Bachelor themselves... Is very rarely a very interesting person. That's true. I don't think that Brooke is going to be that much of a catch compared to the other 15 people or 16 people in the house that they're not going to be incentivized to just couple off themselves and forget about her. We've had friends uh, that have been on the show as well. And one of our friends in particular, now that you've made that point, I remember her telling us that in a three-week period, she maybe only saw The Bachelor for an hour or an hour really? and a half. So she's spending the majority of time with the other in people the in the house. I yeah. actually saw an interview on radio, that 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 uh, Forgotten Dying Medium, uh, the other day, and she mentioned that she had requested that the guys and girls be separated in separate houses, oh, which I really? thought was telling that she's like, I know what's going to fucking happen here. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because if the girls are bisexual because they're there to date her, then the eight girls could all couple up. It's very true. Nick just fell off his chair. I, for one, would rather watch that show. Yeah. Okay, I've got a question for you. Okay. Do you think, and this, I think, is the biggest question that people aren't really talking about. Yeah. Do you think more people are going to watch it? Because at the end of the day, it is generally your outspoken lefties or your performative activist lefties who have said, we need there to be more... Uh, broader uh, ranging people mm. on shows like The Bachelor. And they have a point. Yes, there should be broader representation on shows. I don't think it's the biggest issue in the world. But they're the ones who've been begging for this. Mm. Now we're getting The Bachelor. Are these share houses in Newtown going to tune in? Because if they don't, then the Channel 10 will never do it again. Yeah. I think that the first episode will have higher ratings. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think it will really matter. I think it's one of those situations where those people weren't watching it anyway. The, the, mm. the people that were complaining for greater representation were... I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it will have a dramatic effect on the ratings. And I think that streaming services, especially for our generation, have become such a juggernaut. Yeah, You can basically guess the TV ratings these days. I think it'll do like 1.2 million first weekend and then it'll drop down to like 700,000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, this is a, a problem that I think we see very often in the world nowadays of people um, performatively wanting things, but then not actually taking the steps that are required uh, and taking the onus on themselves yeah. to make those things successful. You could say the same about a lot of female sport, like AFLW, for example. There are a lot of people that are saying, oh, these female athletes should be paid the same. Well, if you feel that way, go and buy a ticket and go to the games. Yeah. Go buy a jersey. Yeah. Tune in, watch a thing. So I, I put this on our Facebook page on Off Air Podcast Community, and I said, will you be watching, and will this affect the way that you watch if you don't normally? 
Jared said, I am 100% not more likely to watch only because one, mainstream, t- mainstream TV is boring and two, <laughs> reality TV drama does not interest me. So he's not budging. Yeah. Doesn't watch it, won't watch. Sarah wrote, I prefer Love on the Spectrum these days. Such a good show. Yes, it is. Mm. Lindsay wrote, I'd be more inclined to watch her as the bachelor than the bachelorette than whatever the double sister act thing was. Um, yeah, we'd all forgotten about that. That was weird. That that was weirder than putting a pansexual on the show. Yeah, sister dating. Two sisters dating the same cohort of men. Yeah. <laughs> what were we thinking? And and neither of them had, I mean, they didn't They're have the charisma of one person well. yeah, between that's true. them. Yeah, But so basically, so Lindsay is the only one that said she's more inclined to watch this, but it sounds like she already was watching it anyway. Yeah. Sarah is watching other stuff. Jared said, I don't watch it. I don't think anybody is going to... What I, I, don't, I think if you don't watch it, you don't watch it. Channel 10's a bit odd anyway, because for me, I always feel like shows on Channel 10 get a lot of screen time on websites like mm-hmm. news.com. And pedestrian. And yeah. pedestrian, but don't get a great deal of ratings. Like the panel. Like you see the fucking panel everywhere, and I don't know a lot of people that sit down and watch the panel every night, or whatever it's called, the 730 Project. The 7 Project. Or, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Rob McManus's show. And you see headlines about Peter Hellier saying something outrageous or Stephen Price. And, uh, but I, I, the ratings for that show are terrible. Really? Yeah. So I think, it's, I think they do a good job of garnering digital headlines, which, if anything, is you know, a successful thing for them. Good on them. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Are you going to watch it? No. But, I haven't, but that falls but in line. But you don't watch it anyway. Yeah, that falls in line with the fact that I have not watched any of it. I think mm-hmm. I've watched maybe... Half an episode of The Bachelor in its entirety. So, <laughs> um, I think I, I think I will. I think I'm going to do exactly what you predicted, mm. which is we will watch the first. Ellie likes The Bachelor and Bachelorette, whatever the same thing. Um, so we'll definitely watch the first episode, and then we'll probably make up our mind after we mm. watched the whole Honey Badger season. Be cool. No payoff either on no, that one. Was it the Honey Badger? No, I don't even remember which one. See this, but the, but it was I, the one but, we were in lockdown. Yeah, and you the absorb these via osmosis anyway. Yeah, you absorb these shows because they're just in the ether. Like you'll end up seeing headlines on it regardless, so you know what's going on. Nick picks. We have a Nick pick. We've actually discussed it in advance. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, on Sunday night. Yeah, we watched a movie. It's currently that it seems to be the number one movie in the world in every country because on it's Netflix. The, yeah, the only thing Netflix is pushing. It's a Zack Snyder movie called Army of the Dead. It stars Dave Bautista. It's a zombie movie set in Las Vegas, and it's also a heist movie, uh, which <laughs> and it's also a love story. <laughs> and it's also a love and very minor love. And it's a father daughter reconciliation story. For a moment, it's Inception. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, it is. How terrible. It is the worst movie either of us had ever seen. Two out of ten. Easily two out of ten, I reckon. How did it get the two? How uh, did it get from one to two? Some of the action scenes were all right. There is, a, there is a scene at the end where someone gets shot in the head and continues to do exactly what they were doing. And they're not a zombie. No. It's, it's worth pointing out. They, they get shot in the head and they go, huh, and then they, they fly a helicopter. Yeah. So... 
I mean, it just was so bad. The dialogue was terrible. No humans would speak that way. For large portions, I couldn't understand a word Dave Bautista, who was the star of the movie, was saying. Who he comes? He's like one of those old wrestler people. Yeah. I think I said to Nick while we were watching. I said, "Remember when Mickey Rourke came out with the wrestler, and everyone was like, wow, Mickey Rourke can act.'" That's not happening for Dave Batista. No, no. he is not going to go on to have a Dwayne the Rock Johnson career. No. Um, it yeah, was so bad, bad but, but that's your nitpick. Chuck it on, give it half an hour. I enjoyed watching it with you. Um, I think we talked the whole way. Yeah yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we did. We just ripped shit on it. So it's a good one to chuck on with friends. There's at least some half decent action in it that you can laugh at but it's a real hack and slash bullshit film and the zombies like have a religion or something and i was really interested in how they were gonna because i have seen a lot of zombie movies and i've never seen that before and they didn't flesh it out ever once they flesh not they introduced about 20 different concepts into that movie and and they ended when the scene ended dave (laughs) batista had three love interests who just would, would just die and then he would just get a new one yeah um, okay, so that's your Nick pick. I've got a real Nick pick because I've been listening to Seth Rogen's audiobook. Oh, you have too. Yeah. yeah, his his book. So he's written a book. It's called Yearbook, and he's also released it as an audiobook. I like listening to audio, um, and he narrates it. Mm. So, and it's it's really fun to um, hear the story of his life. I feel like he's matured as a comedic artist, like quite a bit in the last few years. It's interesting to hear about how he came up in the world. And I always like an audiobook that's narrated by the actual author because you can kind of you get a sense of them. You hear the emotion as well, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, when you see Seth Rogen, like, in an interview, he's... Firstly, if you see him in a movie, he's acting. If you see him in an interview, he's really nervous, probably stoned, and mm. doing that, like... <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to get through it. Yeah. Um, but to hear him, like, he sounds totally different. When he's literally just telling a long story about his life. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I would recommend it. I have spoken to him and made him laugh on the phone. No. Yeah. Although I don't think making him laugh is very it's hard. hard. But, uh, but I was very proud of that. I was producing a breakfast show in Brisbane and we had an interview and I had to prep him for the interview. And I was, oh. it was a, like a highlight of my life. How did you make him laugh? Uh, I can't even remember. I think I just told a joke or something. It might have even been about marijuana. and <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he pissed himself. And it was a very good feeling for me because I... Uh, I often get like, especially from a comedic aspect and, and my laugh, I get compared to as Seth a poor Rogan. man, Seth Rogen. Yeah. And so to get to talk to him was a real highlight. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, I'm very jealous. All right. Well, I'll see you next week, Nick, but, um, over a video screen. I know. Back to, uh, back to the world of cameras and we'll meet again soon, hopefully. But, uh, it's been absolutely lovely, man. So good catching up. I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, over the past couple of days. It's been a real blast. I'm glad you suggested it. This is really timely, actually, because the end of the podcast is literally the end of this trip together. Yes, I'm, you're getting on a bus. I'm going to get on a bus right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries. Um, I will see you when I see you. Sounds good. Right, bye. You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe. People are entitled to their sexual proclivities.